0: This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting AetnaStory.com.
1: Hi, it's Doro, and I'm so excited to announce that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is just around the corner on October 26th at Georgetown University. For our health gig listeners, we have a special offer. If you sign up by September 20th, you'll get $50 off your ticket. Just go to AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com and use the code HEALTHGIG. Get ready to create a happier and healthier life story. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity
0: to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Welcome to HealthGig. I'm Tricia, and today we have a very special episode. Dora sits down and talks with her nieces and the daughters of President George W. and Laura Bush, Jenna Bush Hager, and Barbara Bush. It's a wonderful conversation that was recorded in Maine, and they discuss their journeys, their careers, their concerns, and their secrets to a happy and mindful existence. They also talk about the importance of laughter. Enjoy listening to Dora, Jenna, and Barbara.
1: It's my pleasure today to welcome to HealthGig two of my favorites. They happen to be sisters, they happen to be my nieces, and they happen to be doing great things in the world. So I want to welcome Barbara and Jenna to HealthGig.
2: Thanks, Dora. We're excited to be with you.
1: Well, there's so much to talk about today, but I want to begin with the great things that you are doing in the world. And then we want to move into what makes you healthy and happy and what nourishes you and how you take care of yourself and the people that you love. Barbara, you are the founder of Global Health Corps, which is this amazing organization that promotes leadership and health equity. And so when and how did you come up with the idea of Global Health Corps?
2: Good question. (laughs) I founded Global Health Corps about 10 years ago. We're actually turning 10 this year. Mm -hmm. It came very naturally. I actually met the co-founders that I started it with through my sister, Jenna. Mm -hmm. I had been working in the field of global health for a few years prior to that. Um, when I was in college, I was very lucky to travel with my parents across the country and throughout the world. And I was with them when the launch of PEPFAR, which is the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, was launched. We traveled to East and Southern Africa for that launch. And when we landed, it was an incredibly overwhelming experience. We landed and there were hundreds of people in Uganda waiting in the streets for drugs that we had had in the United States for years. Mm -hmm. And I was quickly exposed to these incredible change makers in Uganda that were stepping up trying to change the status quo there. If you were living with HIV on the continent of Africa at the time, and you were HIV positive, it was likely a death sentence then. At the time, only 40,000 people on the continent of Africa had the drugs that they needed to live, while it was predicted that over 15 million people had HIV. Mm-hmm. And so I was completely shocked to land and to as the Lazarus effect, people that looked like skeletons at the time who were now getting access to drugs that would change their lives and allow them to live a full life and see these incredibly inspiring people step up. But I was also really angered by the fact that these drugs existed, that a scientist had already done the hard work to create drugs that would keep people healthy, whether or not they had HIV, and angered by the fact that if you were poor, you didn't get the opportunity Mm -hmm. to access those drugs. And so I quickly became obsessed with thinking about all the tools that already exist in global health to keep people alive, like these antiretroviral drugs, and thinking about how we can make the most out of these tools that already exist and make sure that health systems are strong so that regardless of where you're born, you have Mm -hmm. access to what you need to live a dignified life. So after that, I started working in global health and Jenna connected me to the guys that I started Global Health Corps with. And we were really motivated by the idea that we were seeing our peers that were so excited to step up and solve problems throughout the world when I was graduating, Teach for America was one of the biggest recruiters from Yale. Mm -hmm. And we saw this organization that was changing education in the United States and wondered if we could do the same for global health. And so what we started to do was recruit exceptional young leaders from around the world. They were all 30 and under, and they would join us and be embedded within healthcare organizations, mainly in East Africa, Southern Africa, and the United States. And they would work every single day within these organizations to serve the communities that those organizations were serving. Mm -hmm. And... It was incredibly inspiring and still is to see these incredible young leaders. Now we have over a thousand young leaders that we work with. Wow. And every single day they're using the skills that they already have and their voices to affect change on global health issues. And what's so exciting is when we first started, and this continues to be the case, we accept less than 1% of those that apply to Global Health Corps. We receive thousands and thousands of applications every year because there are so many young people that want to get their foot in the door to be part of positive solutions. Mm-hmm. And that is what motivates us. Mm -hmm. And now I get to have these over 1,000 young colleagues that are from Malawi and Rwanda and Uganda and the United States that step up every single day to affect change and serve others. And that's incredibly inspiring.
1: Very. So it's a one-year program? You join us for one year
2: and you go through our training, which we do with Yale University. You work every single day on the front lines of global health equity But really, we like to think of it as a lifetime. It's really the first step for many of our fellows and what they're going to do throughout their careers. And now we're so excited. 98% continue to work on global health issues it's a pipeline of young leaders that are going to keep working on these issues throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. And we really think of our model as seeding the field of global health with exceptional creative young talent who will be the ones that we read about in the newspaper in 10 years that have gotten rid of malaria in the Mm. countries where they're from, or will make sure that we have an AIDS-free generation in the next 10 years. And they're really the ones that are stepping up, leading the change in global health.
1: Mm -hmm. And so how old is Global Health Corps?
2: So Global Health Corps is turning 10 at the end of this year. So we are not a startup, but we're still navigating and changing and reflecting every single year to make sure that we're as effective as we possibly can
1: be. And so was it always smooth sailing? Did everything just from the beginning go well or were there obstacles and how did you overcome those obstacles?
2: There were plenty of obstacles. We were all extremely passionate about global health equity, and also very much my co-founders and I were very united around the idea that if you get great people to work on huge issues, that's Mm -hmm. how you can really make change. And so we were extremely passionate about both the positivity and hopefulness of a human capital and leadership development type model. There's nothing more positive than thinking about what these young leaders will do throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely challenging to get an organization off the ground. We started in 2009. We are a nonprofit. And mm-hmm. so we had gotten a large grant from a company to support the launch of Global Health Corps. We received the first check in the mail and I wrote everyone from the organization and said, thank you so much for this. And every email bounced back to me oh, because no. most foundations, especially those related to corporations in 2009, were shrinking or closing because of the financial crisis the year before. Mm-hmm. That just meant that we needed to get out and pound the pavement even more, which I think has allowed us to be so far in business for 10 years because we've had incredibly diverse vendors. There's been plenty of challenging moments, like we work in a few post-conflict countries, and that mm. means that there's a lot of concern about safety and security, but it also means there's huge need. And so we're thrilled to have such incredible talent from Burundi and Rwanda to post-conflict countries because our fellows from those countries are leaders in their countries already and will continue to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the beauty of starting something is there's so many possibilities. You don't know where it could go. And I remember the first year that we got audited was a huge deal for us, even though most people dread right, doing an audit. Right. We were so excited because it meant that we were established Important enough to enough. need an audit. It meant that our organization was big enough to require that. And so that was really exciting. I mean, the second and third and fourth audits weren't quite as Not exciting, so but the first ones were really It meant that we'd arrived in some way. And so while there have been plenty of challenges, they've always been opportunities for us to be more effective or get smarter or get more focused on what we've been working on.
1: Amazing, Barbara. And I know your biggest cheerleader is your sister, Jenna. I think you would agree with that.
3: She's done such amazing work. It's been so fun to watch her create this organization from the ground up. The very first weekend that Barbara met some of her co-founders was in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And we put up white paper easels all over my house. We just moved in. We didn't have any furniture. And at the end of the conversation around what this could be, you know, we said, who's in? Barbara raised her hand. And ever since then, I guess probably 11 years ago now, she's worked tirelessly. So it's been really cool to watch them create something that's changed so many lives. Yeah. it's. And I've gotten to meet some of her fellows in the field too, which has been really cool.
1: I bet that's inspiring really cool so Jenna based on your personality as a little girl none of us are surprised that you went into television so when and how did you discover television as a career
3: I think I was kind of surprised only because (laughs) we weren't y'all weren't surprised but it happened organically really I was on the today show for a book that I wrote when I was 26 Mm -hmm. so 11 years ago afterwards the executive producer emailed and said, we really think you should be on TV. And I laughed it off. I wanted to teach. I thought there was no better way to change the world than education. And in our country in particular, there's marginalized areas which need teachers, Mm -hmm. need talent, need people that are wanting to give their time. And so I was teaching in Baltimore and I liked it a lot. So the thought of leaving seemed like something that was never going to happen. But honestly, because teaching is so difficult, it's a job that I think sometimes our culture doesn't appreciate how hard Mm -hmm. it is. Weren't you a teacher? Were no. you a teacher? Oh, no. no. I thought maybe you were.
1: Well, I do actually. I teach mindfulness. Yes. And have taught mindfulness for a bunch of years. So, yes, yes I am you're a, teacher. a teacher. Good. Thank you for embracing that. <laughs> um, anyway,
3: so I never thought I would leave it just because I liked it so much. And it was the way I thought my career was going to go. Mm-hmm. And then it's hard. It's really hard to engage 24 sixth graders. I was teaching sixth grade in West Baltimore you love your kids. So their problems stay with you. You never really turn off. Doing live television is easier to be completely honest, but also it's a different type of teaching. I think in some ways after a year or two, I took the interview and actually it was right here in Maine and Gamby and Ganny, I got the fifth call maybe in a year and they said you should take the interview mm-hmm. and I think people sometimes don't know that about your parents or your mom or our grandmother they maybe didn't realize that she was supportive in that way and that she was like go ahead and try they were mavericks in many ways right. and that they wanted us to see what could happen and mm-hmm. so they encouraged me to take the job interview Gamby had such a practical response he goes well do you watch the show? And I said, (laughs) no, I'm usually teaching. He said, well, let's turn it on. And we watched it over a cup of coffee. I was here visiting by myself because I was a teacher. So I had the summer off and I took the interview. And I think the lesson is you never really can predict how life's going to go and take the interview.
1: You say it's easier than teaching and you make it seem easy, but there must be preparation. And mm-hmm. now you're on with Hoda and Jenna or Jenna yes. and Hoda or Hoda, it's Hoda and Jenna, Hoda and Jenna. Yes. Okay. Well, it's someday okay. it might be Jenna. And Hoda. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay. but will taking second place. <laughs> Next Definitely to Hoda. To Hoda. Yes. She's awesome.
3: She's awesome. I think one, you have a great team. You know, there's this mm. great group of people that I work with that I didn't necessarily expect to fall in love with all my coworkers. And that's such a great part of it is that when you have a great team, yeah. it really is easy. It's natural and feels organic. And just like us sitting right here is not a lot of work, but there is preparation that goes into it. And right. I wake up really early. Luckily, we're all morning people. Yes, So we it's are. in our DNA anyway. So I wake up early and go over the segments and then we meet in the morning before the show and have a rundown meeting. And then we'll usually have a conversation in the evening too with some of our producers. But that part of it too, there's this great team that people don't know, you know, Hoda's awesome. And she's a star and funny and charismatic and really uplifting, which I think is a good team Mm -hmm. member. But there's also all these people behind the scenes who people don't know, Mm -hmm. who help get everything together. And they're really fun to work with. That's been the biggest surprise about doing my own hours, how much fun it is to collaborate with everybody.
1: Yeah, a great team is critical. What happens when a show doesn't go well? How does that look?
3: You can feel it for sure. I mean, I think that's the reason why Hoda and I worked together. The first time we ever did it together, I was filling in for Kathy Lee. Right afterwards, I felt, and I think Hoda felt this sense of like, wow, that really worked. Yeah. You know, there's this chemistry to it. There's been other times where it's been like, uh-oh, <laughs> was that good? That yeah. felt weird, you know? Right. And I think just like in life. It's like a feel. But it's also our producers say like it isn't brain surgery you know and so when I travel with Barbara and she talks about her work there were times where I'd say like and all I do is television yeah but I will say one of the things (laughs) that and I would sort of self-deprecate which is great but there were people who are going through cancer and chemo and they said you made made me me smile and so I do think it's just television but we can make people smile
1: definitely who have you met or interviewed that changed you in some way, Barbara?
2: I feel like I had such incredible exposure. Just so many people have changed me. We were so lucky when my dad was in office that we, I got to go to five continents with him and meet so many people around the world. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting to be an architect. That was the path that I was on. Mm-hmm. And just meeting so many people that were everyday people that were stepping up to change their norm completely changed my thought about how I should live my life and how I could live my life. I've also gotten to meet so many heroes of mine in the social change space. Wendy Kopp, who founded Teach for America, Mm -hmm. has been an incredible mentor of mine, as has Paul Farmer, who founded Partners in Health. He's been one of my greatest mentors. And Mark Dybel, who founded PEPFAR, has been a great Mm -hmm. mentor of mine. I mean, at Global Health Corps, because our crew is quite young, everyone's 30 and under, we always talk about standing on the shoulders of giants Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: talking about who our giants are, who came before us that allowed us to do this work. And for me, I've been so incredibly lucky to meet many of those that have inspired me and also paved the way for us to follow in their footsteps and keep working on the issues that they've completely changed. We're just a part of making sure that the momentum continues and we can keep making those changes.
1: Yeah. And Jenna, how about you? One of my favorite
3: interviews was Maya Angelou right before she passed away. I admired her so much. I got to interview her in her Brownstone in Harlem. I was pregnant with Mila, so my first baby, Mm -hmm. and I was largely pregnant and therefore very hormonal and even more teary-eyed than I usually am. (laughs) And she had written a book about her mom. It's a memoir, I think it's called Me, Mom, and Me. And it's about how her mother shaped her life and then how she raised her, she was a single mom and raised her son on her own. I sat in her kitchen across from her at her kitchen table and listened to her. And I think when I was expecting to have a child, there's all these unknowns. And to hear a woman like that, this great poet and thinker, Mm. somebody that really gave back so much, talk about how her mother shaped her, Mm -hmm. was just one of those moments. Long after the interview was over, I sat at her kitchen table and she told me stories. And she Mm. was just a beautiful human. And I think to hear about how we raise our children, sometimes we don't think of that as important as it is.
1: Yeah. I think the three of us, I know we're all lovers of Mary Oliver. Mm-hmm. So if we had to jointly yes. say there was a mentor, someone that we admired, and may she rest in peace. Mary. I so
3: wish. We, did you ever get to know? No, her?
1: never. Did you?
3: No, no I wish. I but know. I feel like I knew her How through d- her words.
1: How are we going to spend our one wild and precious life? Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing. So our listeners want to know how you all stay healthy and how you are happy in life and how you take care of yourselves. And so tell us about your early morning routine.
3: We are early morning people. It's funny because one of the things that we do, and it's with you, and I'm not being very disciplined in it right now, is that we're on an early morning text, Mm -hmm. early morning from you and my father. (laughs) (laughs) So we know that when we're up, which is early. We read the same book. I will admit that I thought we were still reading Sarah's
2: a Young. different
1: book.
3: <laughs>
1: I know, but that we were done with in January. Yes, yes.
2: So every morning we were reading Sarah Young. It is a Christian meditation, mm-hmm. and so we would read those the same one every morning, and then text each other a quote from it that we liked, illustrated by an emoji.
3: Mm-hmm. But now we're reading the The one year bible Bible. but somebody forgot to tell us that we'd switched over (laughs) (laughs) i will say that i was a little more active when i knew what book we were reading Um, (laughs) (laughs) but i'll say even reading you and my father's quotes on it Mm -hmm. is a good way to start the day uplifting thoughts that really can sometimes strike you when you look at it and think like oh this is a good way to be today Right, and it can center your day around what's really important. And so now I'm going to download that one-year Bible and get to it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's one thing we do in the morning. That's a more a joint morning practice. Yes, a virtual morning
2: practice. I love having a morning routine. It really grounds me and centers me. I really now am very vigilant about not looking at my phone or text messages or emails when I wake up and letting myself have 30 minutes where I'm not actually involved in what's going on with other people Mm -hmm. at that point in the day. Mm -hmm. But instead, I like to do breath work when I wake up and I like to read our morning practice for work, I feel often very run by my inbox and by my team and by my phone throughout the day. But of course, we have control over that. And so I like starting off my day with how I want to start my day and ground my day Mm -hmm. via breath work and getting quiet and reading something that is a good reminder of how I want to live that day. And being empathetic or being a good listener or how I want to present myself in the world that day and take control over my time in the morning so that I am building the blocks before I even get out the house of how I want to be. And that has been, while it sounds like such a small thing, it's actually completely changed the way that I see the world in my day because I realize I'm in control of starting positively and starting in the way that I want to. I like to exercise in the morning, I like Mm -hmm. to get it done. I got my certification to be a yoga teacher last year, which I love. And so I usually do yoga or I really like cheesy cardio dance classes. And they're a wonderful way to start your day because you just float around and listen to cheesy music and feel incredibly positive. And I feel like I get a lot done in the mornings before I leave. If I can do my breath work and exercise, I feel like I've already been productive before I get out the door.
3: And Jenna? Well, my mornings are a little different just because work starts so early. But the one thing that I try to do, and I have to look at my phone right away, just because it's my morning hours are my busiest. Right. In the car on the way to work, I've become a big fan of the Calm app. I don't know if any of you have listened Mm -hmm. to it. Their daily meditation is this really interesting mixture of a guided meditation. And then there's some sort of reflection at the end of it. And it's similar to how we start with a Christian meditation. The Calm app, people talk about all different things, about self-motivation, about restraint, and they're from all different cultures. And it's funny because sometimes they hit home exactly where I need them to hit. So Mm -hmm. I usually listen to the Calm app. It's 10 minutes. Anybody can do it on the ride to work as opposed to just immediately getting straight to my work.
1: So we're talking about healthy habits. How do you all change unhealthy habits? (laughs) We don't have to reveal what they are. Unless we want to.
2: I like to think of myself as a very disciplined, motivated person. I'd say my biggest vice is sugar. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I really like a dessert. I have a sweet tooth.
1: This has been passed down (laughs) through the generations of our family. It's a problem. It's a genetic
2: thing. I have a Mm -hmm. real sweet tooth, but I eat a lot of fruit. I try to get my sugar elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest vice that I'm still battling. But besides that, I'm a real cold turkey type of person. Like if I decide that I'm going to quit something, then I just quit. And that's also, I think,
3: hereditary. Yeah, that's hereditary.
2: If I'm going to talk about it, I'd rather just do it than waste my time and energy hating myself for not doing it or beating myself up for not doing it. Mm -hmm. And then you just save a lot of brain
3: space being kinder to yourself. It's such a cliche, but I do find that most cliches are because enough people have tried it and it works. (laughs) Is moderation. We like sugar, but I also kind of feel like, you know what, we have one life. And if I want to have an ice cream cone with my kids, have that. And then don't beat yourself up about it all day. Because I find that the self guilt or the worrying about parenting, about food, about any of that. Is more heavy than the actual food Mm -hmm. So recently I've just been trying to like let go If I choose to have something Choose to have it and go for a long walk Or don't have it at the next meal
1: And enjoy it while you're having it Enjoy
3: it it. and that's another thing that I think With mindfulness like really Mm -hmm. taste That ice cream cone and have the moment With Mm -hmm. your kids or at dinner and have Dessert instead of just piling in 17 cookies which I've also been Known to do but I think if you can kind Of focus on the reason why we're eating something the meal the conversation the laughter that it makes it more pleasurable
1: mm-hmm so there are other ways to be mindful I love the example of your dad you know he's in the most present moment I would think and you all have to tell me if I'm right when he's in his art studio he's told me before that five hours feels like five minutes mm-hmm. do you all have other activities that might feel the same way that might be another path to mindfulness practice I
3: find that if when I get home from work, I could easily take a nap. I'm up really early. I could easily go do something. But with my kids, sometimes I was being pulled that way. Of course, I want to hang out with them. So I try to just get home and right away put on my tennis shoes, listen to great music and walk. I like to do it alone the solitary moments of listening to music and walking and being outside. And somebody told me once, and I thought it was such good advice, that if you feel stressed at the end of your day and the first thing you want to do is have a drink, something kind of that's not so good for you, go for a walk first, be outdoors. And then if you you know still want a glass of wine, again, be mindful and have it. But being outdoors and going for a walk is a really good way to relieve stress. Mm-hmm. Well, we're real twins because I was going to say I go on a walk almost every night after
2: we have dinner and my husband will join me most of the time, which I really like because it's a nice way for us to be together. But I love moving. I love leisurely strolling and discovering things in New York is so fun for that reason, because you can end up in a little neighborhood and see something that you've never seen before. And it feels like you're uncovering this other part of a city that you haven't otherwise gotten to see. You see so much more when you're walking than if you're in a car. I also just love being in nature. For me, being in nature, even for five minutes, to me, it's the opposite. It can feel like I've been gone for five hours. If I'm in nature, it just completely changes my perspective. And I try to squeeze in any way that I can being in nature, being
1: outside. Such good health benefits of being outside, Mm -hmm. taking it all in. Mm -hmm. What is your greatest fear, regret or failure and how did you overcome it?
2: Well, this is a bit of a non-answer, but I'm asked all the time because I started an organization like what have been your failures? I'm not a very fear-based person. There's been plenty of things that I've done wrong, but they don't feel like failures because you can act on what you learn in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm asked all the time, tell me about some of your big failures. And it's not that I haven't had plenty of things that in the moment felt like a failure, but afterwards, when you get to learn from them, I mean, for work reasons, there's plenty of things that didn't work that we tried, but then we learned that they didn't work and share with other organizations why it didn't work. So they don't need to make the same mistake. And I feel like that from a personal perspective as well. In my experience, I've just grown a lot more when I've been uncomfortable or when things didn't work. It's allowed me to become more in tune with myself or how I wanna be whenever things haven't worked out that ultimately to me is a real win or is a success because it's allowed me to grow. So I don't ever have a good answer to this question. But
1: that's a great answer. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say to my kids when they were younger, really, there's no mistakes. Yeah, Because if you can learn from them,
3: this is all based on some therapy but i think mm-hmm. one thing that i've realized about myself is that i do think i had a fear and and maybe barbara will relate to this a little bit too that people would think we got to where we got because of who our parents mm-hmm. were and so i work really really hard and so does barbara like my mom would say like how did we raise such workaholics like you don't ever even relax i realized that I was working so hard to prove that I made it here and I did it on my own. And Maria Shriver, actually, who I know we have a mutual friend with, said, why are you doing all that? Like, I think I was telling her about my week and I was going to this place and this place and doing every shoot they asked of me and working, working, working. And she said, does this fill you up? And I said, you know, in some ways it does. So it's a tricky question. Mm -hmm. But she said, you know, can I just tell you something? I was at the airport and I used to be like this and I did everything and I wanted this job and I wanted to be a journalist. Journalist, And I wanted people to see me as not this person. And I was at the airport today and I'm, you know, 60 years old. And somebody said, aren't you a Kennedy? And she said, so if you're trying to work hard to prove to other people that you made it, like, you don't need to do that. If you want to work hard because you find it appealing and it's something in you that you have this ethic, that was a really interesting moment for me. Let's do things that fill me up and let's work in a way that I enjoy. But I don't need to prove to anybody else how I got to where I got. You know, I know that I've worked really hard. And it was an interesting conversation and one where I really realized that it was a fear of mine. Other people's perceptions should never change who I am. Mm -hmm. So that was a fear that I'm working through.
1: And I think that's common Mm -hmm. because I, on a very different scale. I just turned 60 and I decided to throw myself a party. (laughs) And I spent hours angsting like, oh, I really don't deserve it. And it's so embarrassing. And everyone's going to come and think, oh, look, she's having a big party for herself (laughs) and everything. And then I woke up and I decided, what? Who cares? Who cares? This is so much fun. (laughs) And I'm just going to accept it and do it and And enjoy enjoy it. it. Yeah. Yeah,
3: There's something about letting go of other people's perception. Yeah that makes a big difference. And what Maria was saying is that for the rest of the life, there are going to be people that think that about me, that right. think my fear about me, but, if as long as I don't hold that close, exactly. then the fear is no longer a fear.
1: So it's about loving ourselves exactly. enough to just stand in our power and yeah. be who we want to be. And...
3: and I do think there was something when you say that about the party, I mean, maybe in the way we were all raised, there's something about us wanting to be humble, which I think is important, but there's a difference between allowing yourself your happiness and being humble. You know, you want to be self-deprecating, like when I would say, Barbara does the important work. Well, I can accept that my work also is important. You Mm -hmm. know, and Barbara said that she was like, stop saying that, you know, and I think you have to find the boundaries, because it is kind of a gray area of being humble, but also owning your own power.
1: And the party was so much fun. Once (laughs) I decided to do really was
3: a great party.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And
3: nobody thought that.
1: No, we
3: were just excited to be there and have
1: fun with you. What are you most grateful for?
2: I mean, I'm grateful for everything. This is such a hard question also, because I just feel like I think it was the greatest gift that I was born with a twin and I had a partner when I was born. I think it's the greatest gift that we were born to our parents and grandparents because they really showed us how to live and how to be in the world. I've been able to travel and experience so much in my career. I mean, I'm grateful that I have colleagues from all around the world that deeply believe that the world can be better and they step up to do it. And I get to walk alongside them in this work and try to do that as well. I need like my own podcast just Mm -hmm. to list everything that I'm grateful for. But I mean, I feel like I've been able to just be myself and choose my own path. And it's been non-traditional and it's not been what I thought it would be 15 years ago. And it won't be in 15 years what I think it will be this year. Just to be able to explore the world and explore life with incredible people and see where it takes you and see what you can do with your time and how you can be of service
3: is really the luckiest thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that practice of being grateful is such an important thing. Henry and I text each other three things we're grateful for every single morning Mm. because I leave the house before he's awake. They're little things. And I think that is when you really think about why people are happy. The happiest people are the ones that feel grateful for things. You can complain about plenty of things. But if you start your day with three little things that make you happy, and it's actually a really fun chain to look through because there are little things like our daughter coming in with heart shaped sunglasses and like her pants pulled down, you know, little (laughs) funny things that remind you what's important. The one thing that our parents always did was they let us make mistakes and let us be ourselves. There was no guidebook and how to be the perfect person. Um, We had a kind of an undefined role and they allowed us to make slip ups and laughed at it Mm -hmm. and let us laugh at ourselves and let us grow. Anybody that would be raised to live up to a certain level of perfection probably wouldn't be as happy as Barbara and I are, but we were allowed to be flawed. I allow myself to be flawed. I allow myself to make mistakes Mm -hmm. and in parenting and work. And if you hold yourself up to a level of perfection, then maybe you'll, I wouldn't be as happy. So that was the best. I'm most grateful that we were allowed to not be perfect
1: and humor is huge Mm -hmm. I know in your lives and it's big in mine. It's big in our whole family's life And so there are so many health benefits to laughing and being joyful And what's the funniest thing that's happened to you recently? (laughs) And what can we laugh about right now?
3: I love to laugh We
1: We all love to
2: laugh and I like to laugh at jenna she makes me laugh all the time. I'm her audience that's always
1: eager to mm-hmm. laugh. We're kind of all her audience. <laughs> to be honest,
3: it may be hard to translate, but I put on a little comedic <laughs> performance last night. Oh. Yes. It involved a fly swatter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did it involve someone's behind? What happened?
3: Yes. It involved a My bun. behind. <laughs> it, it involved a bun.
1: A uh, hamburger bun.
3: Do you oh. want to share what we were laughing at? We were just saying that if I was an Instagram influencer, <laughs> what would I do? And I started oh, swatting start your bottom with the... I said, sun's out, bun's out. and I had When the she was eating a mouth. hamburger
1: bun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Certain things like that. And that was fun. That's fun. It was fun. That's, it's fun maybe it was one of the things that you have to be there for. Do you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, I do.
1: <laughs> and that's a hard question to say. What's funny happened? I mean, that's... We've had some funny times and Daryl. I don't know if you remember, but I'll tell you off the podcast when we traveled around
3: with for to <laughs> When limited. we went to Sioux no, City, no, I knew
1: you were going to say that. <laughs> of course, that was Sioux City, Iowa. But anyway, somebody pronounced it wrong, and it was hilarious. And we won't. We <laughs> won't, won't say who
0: in yeah. this room.
1: Her name just rhymes with Benna. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Two last questions. This is so fun, but it, our time is running out. So, if you had to pick a favorite quote.
2: I'll choose one that might represent both Jenna and me and you. It is a Mary Oliver quote that we love that our grandmother, Jenna, who's my mom's mom, when we were little, we were living in Midland, Texas, and it was so hot in the summer that we would go over to her house at night so we could play outside at night because it was so much cooler. And my mom would feed us dinner and shower us and we'd go over to my grandmother's house in nightgowns with wet hair and play in the front yard. Mm -hmm. And she would pull out a blanket and lay it on the front yard and we'd all lay down together, my sister, my grandmother, my mom and me and snuggle and my grandmother would show us all the constellations and just encourage us to dream while we were laying there in the front yard, looking at the sky. And she would read us poetry. And one of our very favorite poems was Mary Oliver called The Summer Day. And the ending of it is, tell me, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, how is it you plan to live your one wild and precious life? And we always loved that because it was so fun to think about this big wild life that we could live. I think it's a good thing to think about
3: all the time. How can you live your one wild and precious life? It's like a challenge. So this is a book, The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. And I like this last page of hers. It says, I was wrong to tell you that this is a story about the failures of love. No, it's about real love, true love, imperfect, wretched, weak love. No fairy tales, no poetry. It's about the negotiations we undertake with ourselves in the name of love. Every day we struggle to decide what to give away and what to keep. But every day we make that calculation and we live with the results. This then is the true lesson. There's nothing romantic about love. Only the most naive believe it will save them. Only the hardiest of us will survive it. And yet we believe in love because we want to believe in it. Because really, what else is there amid all our glorious follies and urges and weaknesses and stumbles, the magic, the hope, the gorgeous idea of it? Because when the lights go out and we sit waiting in the dark, what do our fingers seek? Who do we
1: reach for? Mm, How beautiful. (laughs) How beautiful. So we'll end with what book do you think everyone should read? Well, one
2: book that I loved that's about love is The History of Love, which was beautiful. Another book I love, Pema Chodron, who writes beautiful meditation books. And one that I love that really impacted me was one of her books called When Things Fall Apart. Mm-hmm.
3: That's such a hard question. I mean, I think maybe sit like we're doing right now and like our grandmother did for us and read Mary Oliver poems Mm -hmm. and challenge your friends or your family members to what they want to find out of it. That'd be really fun. Just doing this group reading where I found this one page that I liked, I thought was really great. Um, Tony Morrison, The Bluest Eye, was the book that changed me the most as a young girl. I think we were in eighth or ninth grade when I read it. And I remember it changed my perspective on life. Mm. So I think no matter what that book is, try to find something that will teach you about something you know nothing about, something that's way outside your comfort zone the newest book that I read that my dad's reading right now and Henry's reading, and I hope you are. I'm reading reading it. it. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. called Dearly Beloved, and it's out very, very soon.
1: Well, this has been such a joy to be with you both. I adore you. Both. Oh, we
3: adore you. We and adore you. I and this thank is a perfect you. platform for you because I remember taking long walks with you as a teenager and talking, and this
1: is what you're doing for all of your listeners. So, how much fun is that? Well, it's wonderful to have you on Health Gig. So, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Tricia. And I'm Doro. Be well.